Old Testament scripture today is from 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verses 10 through 16. The next day an evil spirit from God came over Saul, and he acted like he was in a prophetic frenzy in his house. So David played the liar as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David escaped from him two different times. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but no longer with Saul. So Saul removed David from his service, placing him in command of a unit of 1,000 men. David led the men out to war and back. David was successful in everything he did because the Lord was with him. Saul saw that he was very successful, and he was afraid of him. Everyone in Israel and Judah loved David because he led them out in war and back again. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Dale. As I mentioned, uh, we're in a series titled The Life of David. And the premise of our series is to understand why it is that David was eventually called a man who had the same heart as God. The series is designed to survey the life of David so that we might be formed and shaped as David was. David became close to God, represented God's heart. We want to do the same. We want to journey to become the people who represent God's heart in this world. So we've been thinking about various moments in David's life. We started by talking about his great-grandmother Ruth, who was a persistent person in her faith and in her faithfulness, and how that might influence our journey to be persistent as well in our own faith walk. The second week, we talked about David being selected by God to be the next king. David was the unlikeliest character in the story. He was the youngest of eight sons. And the lesson that we learn is, is that you don't have to be someone special, and you don't have to have special gifts to be used by God. God can use any of us for God's purposes. Last week, we replayed the story of David who slayed the Philistine giant Goliath, and from that we heard the encouragement that through faith we can overcome giants that are in our lives. It takes that element of faith to be able to do so. This week we're going to think about what it means for David and Saul to now find themselves embroiled in battle, the trouble that brews between the current king and the one who's anointed to become the king. Today's conversation is about power, the dark side of it, and the bright side of power. Now, most of all of you here that are regulars know that I'm pursuing a doctorate's degree in church leadership excellence, finished my classes, I'm working on my project and my paper. I'm kind of working on my project and my paper. I'm not as far along as I probably should be, but I'm, I'm progressing on it. But, but even before the doctorate's program, I was a student of leadership. Three, probably three plus decades of, of learning. I've read dozens of books and articles about the subject. I have benefited from training in three different environments, from my military days and the leadership courses that I took when I was in the service and in the business environment, all the different kinds of leadership that I was involved in and trained in and given the opportunity to research and understand. But even in pastoral ministry, believe it or not, we do a little bit of leadership, leadership training as well. And, and I have benefited from that. 
But more importantly, I've also been an observer of other leaders to see what it is that they do, the leaders that I have worked for and with, to watch and to learn and to see what it is that they deploy that is effective and what it is that they do that doesn't get the results that they really intend, to try to learn what to emulate and what to avoid. I've tried my best to study and apply what I've learned in the classroom and from these living examples. And one of the areas about leadership that always intrigues me is power. Why people use it. How they use it. Who benefits from it. I think we know that we live in a world that is filled with examples of leadership and power. And unfortunately, it appears that in our broad conversation, much of what gets accentuated are those who we perceive to be misusing their power. Let me give you an example. Uh, This is a personal opinion. That's my big caveat at the beginning of this, right? Personal opinion. But I would say in our current political environment, it is more about power and the misuse of it than anything else that's going on, right? It appears by words and actions to me that few of our elected representatives serve with the good of their constituents as their main priority. It appears more that it is about power and position and influence and ideology rather than doing what's right for the overall electorate and our constituents. We all know that our representatives are very skilled at rhetoric, right? And it panders to some of our ideas and sympathies, but what we also know is that so many of them are influenced by dark powers that are very wealthy and can give more money and have better voice or a more impactful voice than our own. And we watch them use the system of Washington, D.C. to enhance often themselves and their major contributors rather than working to enhance the lives of those that just live out in their broader constituent groups. Most all of us probably watched a little bit of the Georgia special election in the 6th District, right? We heard about the obscene amount of money that was spent, $50 million for 300,000 votes in the Georgia 6th District, right? A friend of mine in Springfield posted on Facebook this. He said the $50 million spent in Georgia could have supported 275 foster kids from cradle to graduation. 275 foster kids. Our votes. You think about how we vote. We give our elected representatives power over us, and often that power does not benefit us. It benefits many others. And as I said, that is my personal opinion. You are free to agree or disagree with me because the one thing that I know about opinions is is they are not universal truth for everybody here, amen? Amen. Well, good, at least we agree on one thing this morning, (laughs) right? A second example I would offer to you is, of course, the war for God that is going on in the broader world around us, too. You think about the war between Christendom and radicalized religious terrorists. You know, we in Christendom, we have weaponry that is powerful on our side and we use it to advance 
our agenda of eliminating this enemy. We don't try to thwart ideology with a better vision of the world. We just simply try to eliminate voices. While those on the opposite side, religious terrorists, they are preaching and training and deploying this life-threatening hate. That is their tool of power. They use to transform the world for their vision. We've got a war for God that is going on that is about power and how the world should be shaped. I I was talking with John Rasmus after the chapel service this morning, and John said, it's interesting that you're talking about power today because in the Atlantic there was an article written about power that was published this week, and one of the basic things that came out of it is is people who exert power in the wrong ways are affected brain psychology-wise, and one of the things that they lose is the ability to empathize with others. How often we use our power for the wrong purposes and the harm that comes out of it. Now, I realize that these examples, though, for many of us, seem so distant from us because they are not so often our lived experiences, right? Economically, almost all of us are okay. Many of us are in really great shape. And so the games that are are played in our state houses and in the nation's capital really don't matter to us too much because they don't impact our personal life or our business life too much. And so we just let the power game go on because it really doesn't permeate much of our lives. And none of us here live in a war zone, so the war for God isn't prominent. It isn't paramount for us either. So we just kind of ignore some of this around power and how it's used. I'd even say that none of us are being pursued to death by a crazy king like King David, so we might wonder what is the value of a conversation about power or even his story. And here's what I would say to you. The conversation isn't about external factors and events today. We sitting here today, we all have hearts and souls, and what fills our hearts and our souls influences how we act in this world. And power is one of the things that is within each one of us and a tool that we all use. If you think about the story of Saul and David and the trouble that brews between these two kings, the current king and the anointed king, In the the 18th chapter, you begin to see a turn in the story. And for the next 14 chapters of 1 Samuel, you see Saul's pursuit of David to kill him. He wants to eliminate him as a royal court rival. Saul's trying everything he can to figure out how to get rid of David over and over and over in this story. David has established himself as a charismatic warrior who demonstrates far more leadership potential than Saul does in this moment. In all of Israel and Judah, the only person that does not love David is Saul. All of Israel, all of Judah, has fallen in love with David, this charismatic leader. Jonathan, Jonathan, Saul's son, the heir apparent to the throne, loves David like a brother. Saul's younger daughter, McCall, loves David as a potential mate. She falls in love with him. She helps him even escape one of her father's murderous plots. 
Saul does love David, but Saul loves David in a utilitarian perspective. It's what David can do to benefit Paul that matters, or Saul that matters the most. But when David begins these things that begin to minimize Saul, Saul pursues him to kill him. David is loved as a brother, a husband, a leader. Is it any wonder that Saul becomes embittered, frustrated, and isolated? Every effort that he takes to manipulate and exercise power over David turns against him. It only benefits David. Every time he tries to minimize and eliminate David, only thing that happens is David becomes more powerful and more loved, according to the story. David, though, if you think about it, uses his power in a different way. Rather than exercising his power to get back at Saul, David uses all of his power to serve Saul. To serve Saul's purposes in whatever he sets before him. Jonathan McCall, in this story, they use their power to protect their friend and their potential love, even at the risk of their own position and their own power. You notice, David does not use his power to advance his own position in the story, Rather, he uses his power to dutifully serve. If you think about it for, for a moment, you have to ask, what's in David's heart at this point in his life that keeps him from using his power for his own gain? What is shaping and informing his heart at this point in his story? I would say that it's a couple things. I would suggest to you that it was his love for the people of Israel and Judah. It was his love for his friend Jonathan and for this young woman named McCall that kept him from using his power because he knew that if he did, he would put his friends and the people in jeopardy. They would become the pawns in the struggle for power between the current king and the anointed king. So think about what we should learn from this ourselves in our own lives and how, how this comes about, this fruition, how we use our power. I think David shows us in this moment selfless love, which is the very love God has shown to every single one of us. What keeps us from misusing our power, I believe, is a heart, a soul, that is filled with selfless love for others. I want to share a story with you. It is a story about a, a preacher who was convinced, or was in a convenience store in, in New Orleans about a decade ago, and, and, and he came to the counter, and there was a couple in front of him with a small child, and standing there, they were counting their money. They were trying to figure out how to pay for the few goods that they had put on the counter, but they got to the point where they found out that they not, didn't have enough money to be able to pay for the items that were there. From behind them, a, a man reaches, this, this preacher reaches in and he says, here, take, take the things that are in my hand, the dollars that are in my hand, but don't turn around. I don't want you to know who gave it to you. They took the money. They paid for the items that they had and they left the convenience store. About nine years later, the, the preacher was asked to be a guest speaker at a local church in New Orleans. And after the service, a husband and wife came up to greet him. And they asked him if they could tell him their story of how it was that they came to know the love of God, the selfless love of God that's expressed in Christ Jesus. 
He said, several years ago, we were completely down and out as a family. My wife, my son, and I, we had lost everything. We had no home. We had no job, no money. We were actually living out of our car. And we got to the point that we were so desperate, so lost, that we agreed to have a family suicide pact that even included our little son. But we decided first that we would give him one last meal. So we went to this convenience store to buy him some food and some milk. And when we got to the counter, we, we started counting out our money, and we found out we didn't have enough to pay for what we had brought up there. But from behind us, somebody reached in and handed us some money, told us to take it and pay for the items, but, but not turn around and, and look to see who it was that gave us any of the money. And before the person left, they simply said to us, Jesus loves you. They said they walked out of the store with their items. They went to the place that they had thought about carrying out their pact. And they sat there and they wept together, husband and wife, over their son for several hours. And they just couldn't do it. And so they drove away trying to figure out how to hang on just a little bit longer. And as they drove away, they drove by a church. And on the sign outside the church, it simply said, Jesus loves you. They figured they'd try to figure out how to go to church the next Sunday. They hung on a few more days, made it to church the next Sunday. And there during that church service, the wife and the husband, they said, we experienced the selfless love of God. It gave us hope. It changed our lives. And it put them on a new course. And they said that when you began speaking tonight, preacher, we knew immediately that you were the man who gave us the money that day in the convenience store because your South African accent gave you away. But your act of selfless love was more than just a simple good deed. He said three people are alive today because of it. One of our United Methodist churches in the St. Louis area has an initiative going on. It's called Your Buck Starts Here. Right? We've all heard the term, your buck stops here, the buck stops here. Theirs is your buck starts here. Once a quarter, the church has chosen to bless a local family that is in desperation and in need. They take up a special offering of $1 bills and they give that full offering to help alleviate the stress and the pressures of that family. These opportunities, though, aren't something that just is external to them. It's grassroots. It's within their congregational network. It is people that the folks of the congregation themselves know, and they share in helping them. These offerings of generosity are selfless acts of love that helps bring new life to a struggling family. I think, dear friends, that it is paramount that each and every one of us be on a spiritual journey. A spiritual journey that is shaping and filling our hearts with selfless love. I believe that the supreme example of selfless love is God's Son, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Because Jesus was the perfect example of selfless love. Think about the Philippians hymn and the words that are said. Even though Jesus was equal with God, he did not see his power as something to grasp and use. Rather, Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus could have used his power to liberate himself, and instead he chose to use his power to liberate you and me. 
Jesus constantly, consistently thought of others, used his power over nature, sin, and death for the benefit of others. And in this announced the coming kingdom of God, not the coming kingdom of the powerful. All of us are invited to make choices in our lives. We could certainly follow the ways of the world. We could choose to be people who are powerful and we use our power for our own personal benefits. We could be selfish in many ways or we could pay the high price of being a disciple of Jesus Christ and that is self-denial, to express our power for the benefit of others. And I believe that's our invitation for today, to be people who use our power for the benefit of others especially those who are the helpless and the hopeless. Friends, we could certainly use our power for our own benefit, our own gain. That is natural. It is the way of the world in which we are shaped where we can grow in the knowledge and the selfless love of God. Let it fill our hearts and our souls that we might be a people who help those, especially the down and the out. The invitation is from God. The decision, though, is yours. So here's what I hope you remember from our conversation today. Would just simply remind you that we are all aware of the temptations that come with power and how often we might be tempted to misuse that. David, we, though we know, rose in power, but he used it to bless the people, his closest friends, and even the king who was trying to kill him. And that's because his heart was shaped in this moment by the selfless love of God. And that we today, dear friends, are invited to have that heart as well. To have our hearts shaped by the selfless love of God. To use our power to bless others, especially the down and the hopeless. So let me ask you this as our invitation today. What journey are you taking in your life? Is it a journey that is about yourself, about exercising your power more for your own personal gain? Is that high on your priority list? Or is it a journey that is allowing your heart to be transformed and shaped by the selfless love of God so that you might be a living expression of God's selfless love? Or to think of it this way, do you know someone in your circle of influence who is struggling and near the breaking point? Is this a chance for you? Is this a chance for us to exercise our power and to show them the selfless love of God. Because as I said, the invitation is from God. The choice is yours. Would you join me in prayer? Merciful and gracious God, we are thankful this day for your selfless love that was made known in your Son, Jesus Christ. How he could have liberated himself and yet he chose to liberate us. That we might be your people shaped by your heart and by your love. You've laid before us an invitation today, O God, to have our hearts transformed. To choose a journey in which we become people who are empowered by your selfless love and have the power to enact it in our lives and in our world. Or we can continue to go the way of the world and use our power for ourselves, for the most part our own benefit.
Oh Lord, speak to us this day. By the power of your Spirit, draw us near to you. Transform our hearts and our minds. Shape us that we might show the world what selfless love looks like. And we ask this in Christ. Amen.